I'd like to indulge your attention for some considerations around Chittanupasana, the contemplation of mind states. A mind state is different from the three other satipatthanas in character. Yeah? Body qualities are relatively easily identifiable. They have to do with the sensate nature of the body, we call them. You know, things like touch or heat or pressure or contact. We speak of the tactile world, that's what involves our skin in, uh, experience, in being experienced. Or we speak of the uh, interoceptive, proprioceptive world, that's what the body feels inside, yeah? without the help of skin. That's relatively straightforward stuff. Uh, it's a huge world and we've given some time to this and as Yuka, I believe, has said the other day, we will never quite leave this world. Our practice never really strays away too far from the body. What we do is we add on other dimensions. We've spoken of Vedana, hedonic tone from Greek, hedone, pleasure, uh, the spiking of something in us that just goes into ooh and ooh. Yeah. So very relatively short, relatively simply structured. Um, doesn't have many words, is very powerful as a trigger to uh, the actions and beha behavior that ensues or the mood that follow. Now with citta this is a little more complicated. Somehow for citta we need to be good in the saddle. Uh, emotions have um, mood, an emotion, affect, is of a different characteristic. It's not so easily recognized as a object of mind. You know? We experience moods not as objects. We experience the mind to be colored by a mood. In other words, um, what we would like to get a perspective on is already part of the instrument that tries to get a perspective on. Yeah? Meditation, unfortunately, is really messy business. Yeah? So, Chitanupasana is kind of it's kind of like like going down a rickety stair, ill lit into a workshop um, that is completely a mess. Tools are lying around. Your your work piece is lying around. Gloves is lying around, and halfway down the stair, the light goes out. You know, and you're trying to fumble your way through there. So, this is there is meditation for you. Whatever they tell you on the brochure, that wasn't true. <laughs> you, know? you kind of heroically, you know, move out, and you're trying to purify, cleanse defilements cultivate wholesome things, but halfway down the stair the light goes out and you're basically fumbling. And the very instrument that tries to do the understanding is already affected by the state you're trying to understand. Yeah? So this is not proper science. Yeah? 
This is not proper science. You don't have a clean object, good lighting, laboratory conditions, you know, the status question is neatly listed and then you're doing little experiments and then you're charting, you know, the results. You're actually, you know, you have grubby fingers and what you like to look at is already part of your instrument with which you're trying to understand and look at things. Maybe I exaggerate a little bit, but I think you get the picture. It's difficult to separate moods from the mind that is uh, having the functions of understanding, that having the function of mindfulness, that has the functions of clear comprehension. These faculties are actually tinged by the very mood we're trying to get a perspective on. So that has something to say about the nature of mood. It feels a mood, particularly a, a strong mood, a strong emotion, say something like fear, or depression, or self-loathing, or um, forms of anxiety, rage, all these things have incredible doubt, uh, all the flutters basically, all these things have an incredibly hypnotic quality. And it, when we're in the mood, when the mind is colored by this mood, it feels as if all of my world is colored by this mood. Yeah. Whatever I bring up, whatever I think of, seems to be uh, tinted in the way my mood uh, is colored. So they're basically moods also, they have a strange effect on our perception of time. When we're in a mood, it seems the thing is eternal. Yeah? So when you're in love, it feels like it's eternal. Yeah? When you're angry, it feels you've always been angry. You know, your whole life is one succession of rages, helplessness against rages, and then more rage. Yeah, so, so the stronger the mood becomes in the mind, the more it seems to go from wall to wall. Yeah? It's kind of screen filling. That's what moods do. That's not just your moods. You may think this is just your particular tragic experience, but actually that's what moods do. Uh, the good moods do that and bad moods do that. So we, we have a greater danger of just plunging in and being sucked in. So that's why it is necessary to learn some of the skills of stilling. That's why it is necessary to learn to anchor the mind's attention in the body. And that's why it is necessary to learn to de-identify from the experience. All that stuff, while it doesn't make us free, it actually is immensely helpful in working with mood because mood has uh, a great uh, sort of mesmerizing power. It has a tendency to rope us in. It has a, a tendency to be hypnotic and to basically make us lose our bearings how it feels when we're not affected by this mood. Yeah. Our cognitive processes are colored by mood, our perceptual processes are colored by mood, even our somatic processes are colored by mood. Our posture is colored by mood. It's very difficult to be really, you know, upbeat when you're like that. You know, when you kind of come in in the morning and crumple up and just pull your blanket up and think, oh, I hope it's going, you know, it's going fast and I don't feel much. It's quite likely that you will induct sleepiness yeah 
At the same time, it's really difficult to be totally depressed if you're kind of sitting there like that, opening your chest, opening the palms of your hand upwards. It's really difficult to feel depressed. Yeah? So you can mood soma somaticizes as body posture, but body posture also suggests to the mind different moods. So if you want to feel how, like how it feels to be a a sulking and defiant six-year-old, just kind of turn your feet a little in and make a face. <laughs> you know, if you do that 30 seconds, you know, I get that in five seconds. When I go into this posture, I start feeling like a sulking six-year-old. This is quite easily accessible to me. You know, I live with that guy. So, <laughs> so we, can, we can play this both ways, isn't it? We can, mood creates posture, behavior, facial and uh, mimic gestures. And obviously, adopting these things begins to generate the mood. You know? Every actor will know that if you want to know how somebody feels, just start breathing like they breathe, start walking like they walk, you know, move like they move. And then suddenly we'll begin to get a feeling what these people inhabit as a world. So... Um, Chittanupasana means we we need to have some degree of stillness. We need to have some resources in uh, in the use of our bodily uh, posture, sensation, our body, our groundedness in the body before we can actually get in touch with some of the the climate of the mind. Uh, that climate is no less conditioned than, say, a simple thought is or uh, an experience of pleasure or displeasure. Moods are highly conditioned. Moods are highly... Uh, they can easily and quickly change, you know, dramatically change. Uh, they feel very, very eternal and very, very convincingly solid. And it only takes a tiny piece of change and suddenly the mood swings. Yeah. You're in a very sort of happy, liberal, trusting mood with a bunch of people at, at a gathering or a meeting and everybody has little gifts and wants to share and is relaxed and then somebody cracks a wrong joke you know the whole atmosphere freezes trust disappears you know the f people stop and suddenly it becomes unsafe yeah so within within no time uh something happens and a mood completely transforms not just for yourself but for other people um you know you may find that you you're angry about something and then you find a little piece of information and suddenly you dissolve in sadness or in 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 shame about your anger because you found out you know the the imputed intention you've been operating on is actually not been the case or she just didn't see your note you know you, <laughs> yeah, you you haven't been rejected or so she just didn't see your note you know or it wasn't her who ate the prunes. It was, you know, it was one of your kids who did it. So, so, so there are so many ways we we are powerfully affected by moods, and it's necessary for us to learn as meditators to be in a contemplative way with moods. So, what are our ways in? 
the tendency would be to kind of we all have dominant moods yeah so i'm you know usually i get depressed or i get homesick or i get i i i feel i feel a loser or i have um subterranean growling rages against parts of my family or so or or i just feel sit here on my cushion and feel increasingly lonely and connect disconnected and 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 alien yeah we all have expectations what we are going to be feeling like on retreat or i'm just getting more and more calm and collected and cool and really you know things are widening and then i'm holding on to my nat mat mat and then really on the nibbana express and then you know bliss and i'm on, on a real wild samadhi cruise or so so we all have our expectations and then we generally well we meet our experience and often that doesn't quite map with the expectation or the apprehension sometimes sometimes it's not all bad you know i expected to to be trudging through the horrors of my life and then i find out actually i have a blissful week in spite of things that uh, may be difficult in my life so one of the things that really helps is to be able to identify mood in terms of body sensation yeah we're trying to establish a vocabulary of body sensation for differing mood states so how does fatigue feel in the body not just you know the sandpaper feeling behind our eyes but a little more subtle than that what does my body feel like when it is sleepy when it is bored how does anxiety feel like in the body where do i feel grief in the body where is where is relaxation most noticeably felt what does this body feel like when doubt is happening yeah these are very very useful things do i have a vocabulary for differing mood states in the body you see your mind is very unlikely to tell you the truth about your mood state you know when i'm angry my mind doesn't tell me a kinjan or now you're angry my mind tells me i am right okay when i ask are you angry he says no i'm constructively critical here this needs you know this needs a clear boundary i'm just saying i'm stating facts here you know it doesn't say you know now akin you know you're in a state which generally you do collateral damage so please be careful you know it doesn't say that it says things like somebody's got to lock him up you know or uh so you can't trust your mind when you go depressed it doesn't say i'm now going clinically depressed it says you know this is a horrible world i've never been happy i am not happy i will never be happy and and you know i will live eternally yeah so this this is not to be trusted so you cannot believe thoughts because these thoughts are deeply colored by mood so the body is much more reliable the body will tell you you know i'm shriveling up or i'm expanding or i'm getting this awkward sense at the pit of my stomach or um it feels like i'm kind of uh, i'm being pulled out of my skin or um we have a much better chance to get a perspective on the mood quality the climate quality of mind what buddhist 
psychology calls chitta, when we learn to listen to the body's messages. Yeah. So that's one of the things that is really helpful, acknowledging differing textures, tonalities in the body. Just That means we, we stop dealing with single sensations. We're actually interested in widening our mindfulness from a an object awareness to a field awareness. Yeah, It's kind of we're looking for meeting the object, that's always the easiest, and then spreading. Yeah? So we're meeting, contacting, and then spreading, enveloping, melting, softening, either into it or around it. So we begin to have a mindfulness that inhabits larger parts of the body. If we want to feel the tone uh, of our chest, we need to somehow widen our type of awareness that the tonality can find space within our awareness. Yeah? So we need to engage in another relationship. If you engage with relationship with thought, then you know thought is moving fast, it's sharp, it's chiseled, it generally says what it means and it connects in, in, all, in all directions. Now moods don't do that. They kind of they move in, you know, like fog. Some of them like fog, gently, you know, you don't even notice that they begin. And they kind of grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And suddenly you're sitting in a, in grumpiness, you know. There may have been a trigger, wrong kind of jam on the breakfast table. And something in you says, you know, we have to leave this planet. This, you can't, this can't continue that way, yeah, so. so. By the way, that's, fun. that's that's another trick. Sometimes it's useful to do that with moods. When you have moods, you exaggerate them. Yeah, Then they become really... Uh, you know, you have to play with some of these things. We, we, we can't take ourselves too serious in this meditation business because, you know, there's so much that is actually quite funny about us. When, we, when you see how you create a self or how you, how you recreate your story, yeah? So there's little tricks, and sometimes you can play tricks on your little tricks by basically exaggerating. Yeah. So you have a little grumpiness, and then you you make a big disaster out of it, and just overstating the case, and then it becomes obvious in its grotesqueness. Yeah? You can't take it serious anymore. And you end up smiling at yourself, you end up recognizing a pattern, and you end up actually freeing yourself from that pattern in this moment, and you may, you know, this weakens the pattern. So sometimes it's useful to, to, to play with those moods. If you find little moods tagged at the end of your thoughts, yeah. And you know how this works, isn't it? You have a kind of stray little thought. Stray little thought seems harmless enough, but. Uh, in its in its toe, the stray little thought has a, has a bigger kind of thought, you know, has a chain of thought, and at the end of the chain of thought, you have a big fat emotion coming in. Yeah. So while the thought seems very flimsy, the emotion seems a lot more solid afterwards. The thought goes away very quickly. The emotion moves in for the next twenty minutes. the The thought is totally unreal. Refers to something that has happened thirty years ago that may never happen. That's just a little fantasy. But the emotion that is connected with the thought is a physiological reality in your body. Yeah. So th that's why Buddhist psychology thinks it's dangerous just to think around. Yeah. 
an untrained mind is deemed a danger because it can drag up anything and you end up with a big fat emotion moving in for the next six hours and that is going to color your relationship your perception your actions your you know your body state and all this began with a little bit of careless thinking yeah so while emotion has physiological reality and takes place now and is going to color your outlook onto the world your outlook onto self thought may trigger this and the thought may have no bearing on reality whatsoever yeah. but emotion will is it's like you know the sweat of anxiety in your nightmares is exactly like the sweat of your anxiety in your daytime life yeah even though the nightmare may not be real you know your body's response to it the 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 state you experience of anxiety is real yeah you feel it yeah so emotion does not care whether you have good reason to have this emotion or to have bad reason to have this emotion a fictional reason is as good as an absolutely consensually shared as real uh, reason yeah does that make sense so we're dealing with with strong stuff. Yeah? And if you want to look at Satipatthana as a as a quick map, the task of the first one, Kayanupassana, is basically stilling, calming, settling. The task of Vedanupassana is basically stopping the, the merry-go-round of like, follow, behavior in this direction, not like move away, reject behavior in that direction. Yeah? The task of citta nupassana is more complex. It's about purifying, cleansing, about processing, it's about releasing, it's about stilling, it's about cultivating, it's about letting go and bringing in. Yeah. So the tasks in this department of citta nupassana are much bigger. And all the things we're dealing with are much bigger. So one way to have contact with the climate of mind is using a, a feeling type of relationship. Seeing doesn't really help much with emotions. Just to see, you know, if we construe our relationship to our own experience. That's what I believe mindfulness is. It's it's a relationship, a preferably rela intelligent relationship to your own experience. So this relationship we construe usually in analogy to our sense function. Yeah? So sense function of seeing generally means things are opposite. Sense function of feeling, yeah, tactile sensing, is a very different type of relationship. I think I said it yesterday. You know, when we touch something, we are being touched by it. When we see something, we are not necessarily seen. I can be in hiding. I can be a voyeur. I can be, you know, I can be unseen while seeing. When I touch, I am touched at the same time. So it's a much more eye-to-eye. -eye, it's a much more egalitarian type of relationship. So for mind state, the seeing relationship is less useful. We need to have 
a listening relationship, yeah, then we're in the space of something, or a touching relationship, then we're more immediately connected. Or, you know, even a, a gustatory or an olfactory relationship, sniff things out, or, you know, or get the taste of something. In fact, Buddhist teachings are full of that. You know, the word taste is always used in connection often with Vedana. You know, the word touch is always used with samatha. The whole samatha imagery, the whole deep stillness imagery, strangely is equated with the sense of touch yeah, in the Pali, Pali psychology. So for us, that means when we want to be working with states of the mind, not just negative states, the Jitanupasana passages speak of basically, is there greed in the mind or is the mind free of greed? Is there hatred in the mind? Is there delusion in the mind? Is there freedom from delusion or hatred? Is the mind, uh, one interesting sequence is contracted, yeah? shriveled up, shrunken is the mind shrunken yeah? or is the mind scattered yeah? is the mind developed is it undeveloped is it big is it lofty or is it you know the opposite of it is it just drab so there are various qualities of climate the early buddhist psychology doesn't have a word for the word emotion. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Yeah. This is a deeply psycholo Western psychological concept and emotion. Yeah. We find it very difficult to find, to square this with one term in Pali psychology. But it's obvious that people have had emotions. I have no doubt that the Buddha had emotions or his disciples had emotions. You know, when I, when I see how people are described in these texts, it's very obvious that they have had fear. It's obvious that they were joyous. It's obvious that they were uh, grumpy, or it's obvious that they experienced discontent or happiness or inspiration. Quite obviously, in 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 these texts, these things become clear. So, a chitta state entails that I learn to relate to the climate of the mind with a type of mindfulness that is touching, that is listening, and that is getting the taste of something without magnifying that experience. The problem when engaging with emotion is that we tend to either be sucked into the emotion or that we magnify the emotion by trying to relate to it. Yeah. So you think about your anger and guess what's happening? You become more angry because anger lives on thoughts. You think about your anxiety and guess what's happening because you know you, you feed your anxiety by thinking about anxiety. Depression is another one. You know, one, it's no secret that one of the major features of depression relapse, particularly relapse, is basically uh, what uh, what the industry calls um, autobiographic rumination. It's meaning you know. It means what Ajahn Sumedho many, many years ago said casually, when I want to, be dep when I want to feel depressed, all I do is I, I just think a little bit about myself. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember him saying that in the 80s. You know? I could be more specific. You know, it's very good to 
not just ponder your experience. It's important that you get personal pronouns in there. Me. Uh, possessive pronouns, really better. Mine. Yeah. Then temporal adverbials, very good. Me always. Me never. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the rest you can basically just throw in anything. If you start with me always or me never or mine, you know, then you have a story. Yeah. There is your life, you know, right there. And if you continue that for five minutes, then your life is going to be a succession of failures, of missed opportunities, of great promise and unfortunate underachievement. You know, is, I, I can do it. So obviously that's not the helpful piece. What would be a helpful piece? A helpful piece is establishing a sense of body presence, acknowledging the quality the body feels the tonality of the body and see whether you can find does that feel happy, does that feel sad, does that feel lofty, does that feel mundane, does that feel compacted, does that feel scattered, does that feel welcoming, does that feel hostile. Um, and then I find three questions very useful. If you look at some of the most recurrent patterns in your mind, generally these are called, uh, you know, distractions, patterns that take you away from breathing meditation. Um, you find, what is the climate right now of that pattern? Don't bother doing this with everything. Just do this with things that keep recurring. You know, we're speaking of repetitive, tenacious stuff that comes up after you've been meditating for a few days. After you've tried to put this stuff aside, park it, distance it, bring it in perspective, not pay attention to it. And <laughs> it's still, still things come, come in. And you, you ask yourself, well, what is the quality of emotion, of mood, of climate behind this thought pattern, behind this chain of this inner discourse? You know, if I don't listen to what it says, but if I listen to the tone of its voice, you know, is this a grumpy, is this a happy, is this an anxious, is this a vengeful voice speaking here? Often, for me, it helps to not listen to what it says, but how it says it. You know, it's kind of listening to the voice rather than the message, getting the sound rather than the melody or, you know, however you want to phrase that. That takes a little bit of discipline because usually we just jump to the thought. You know? In terms of my Satipatthana analogy, we jump to channel four, to the content of the discursive pattern. But rather than doing that, we're actually listening to the mood behind it. You know? Is this a trusting voice or is this a, an anxious or distrustful voice? So the first question would be, how is this voice right now? How is the mood behind my image, my thought pattern, my, my inner discourse? How is the mood behind this? Is this, a, is this greedy? Is this wishing? Is this longing? Is this aversive? Is this rejecting? Is this contemptuous? This kind of thing. You get a, a feel, kind of you, you reach past the message yeah, to the medium. Um, the next question is, you know, 
when you listen to yourself and it's not immediately apparent what uh, the tone is of what you're the, the the climate is of your experience just just look at some of the stuff that comes up the imagery and you wonder what kind of ground does this grow out of is this an is this a what, what does produce what kind of climate does produce the images the thoughts the voices you have is this a, a place of abundance? Is this a place of deficiency? Is this a place of resentment? Is this a place of uh, inspiration, maybe? Is this a place of contentment? Is this a place of, uh, of ambition? Yeah, be useful. Just looking at the, the manifestation of what your discursive mind produces, so images, thoughts, voices, this is a... Where does he grow? Where do they grow in? You know. I think one image I, I sometimes have. I grew up in Switzerland, so there's lots of little lakes, and you have these blue lakes and the mountains, and then you have winds, and then you have little white sailboats. And the sailboats kind of move across the lake. And instead of looking at the sailboat, you look at the direction the wind comes from. Yeah. So if you, normally the tendency would be just to follow the sailboat as it moves. But now you're looking at the sailboat and from the direction it takes, you infer the wind. Yeah? Where does the wind blow from? The wind that blows the sails of my, that billows in the sails of my little thoughts here, moving across my mind. Where does that wind blow from? Is this a desirous wind or an angry wind or an anxious wind or a, a vengeful or a blissful wind? Yeah, is this? Are you writing eulogies, or is it more elegiac? You know, is it more sad? So, second question: Where, where does it come from? What propels my thoughts, my patterns? Yeah. The third question would be, predictably, uh, that little thought. When I joined that little thought, Yuka used that image last week. See. The bus, the bus comes by, you know, if I board that bus and, you know, most of you are beyond 25, so you've boarded a few buses. Um, when I board that bus, where does it take me in five minutes, in three minutes? You know, if I join that thought, if I, if I give that thought my attention, my energy, where does it land me? Will I land in grumpy land? Will I land in longing? Will I land in frustration? Will I just be angry? Will I yet again feel helpless? There's so many buses we have taken so many times as we grow older. We've taken many, many, many of those buses many, many times. And most of the buses that come by, you actually pretty well know where they take you in two minutes' time. If I give myself to that thought, I know very much where this takes me. Yeah. So, just contemplate the quality of mood as it is now by asking directly what's the sound of this particular phenomena, a thought, an image, a discursive pattern. Or you ask, where does it come from? Or you ask, where does it take me if I go with this now? Yeah? Where does it take me? My mind isn't that original. I have... Most of the things I think I have actually thought before. 
you know most of the buses i that that are on offer i actually have taken more often than i'm willing to admit here frankly yeah so contemplation of mind allows this you know we get in touch what's there we acknowledge the nature of what propels the discursive patterns, the image patterns, the thought patterns, or we acknowledge that we know where this will go if we give it our energy. Yeah? And then we may take the choice and follow Yuka's advice, not take that bus, yeah? and return to the breath, or just return to holding and deep, more deeply letting in what is underneath our wish to follow that bus, or our wish to write that thought yeah good let us sit for a minute
So having listened to Akinchano, I just had this sense how rich our experience is, how this mind is just so productive and creating all these worlds that we inhabit. And they can be the most beautiful worlds, the most exquisite worlds, very beautiful, creative, colorful, and they can be the most horrific worlds that we inhabit. And it, and it all comes from the mind. It's all mind productions. You know, the inner company that is producing ongoing <laughs> series, <laughs> constant stream of inner series, soap operas and tragic stories. And yeah, so it's just amazing. And it's something beautiful about being on retreat that we learn to stay present to all these changing inner movies, that we learn to just walk through all these different worlds, really, through these different weather patterns, um, that we develop a steadiness and a groundedness that enables us just to keep going, just to do the practice, you know, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, no matter what the actual show is, you know, what is presented on your inner screen, no matter, we learn to develop this continuity and steadiness that just keeps going and doing the, the practice. So there is a quality of earth in this, that we learn to be grounded and as Akinchino said, it's so important to use the body as the support to stay grounded. Otherwise, we are totally lost. It's so easy to get lost in all these inner thought worlds. So I really want to encourage you to nourish and nurture this sense of stability as you include um, moods, thoughts, in your awareness that you never forget about being grounded in your body. And sometimes if it becomes too overwhelming, just simplifying it again, just coming back to feeling the soles on the ground. Um, maybe if you are doing walking meditation, walking back and forth, taking the time to pause. You can pause in the middle of, of a walking path and just take a moment to recognize what is happening right now. What am I feeling right now? Listening to what is happening um, rather than going into the story, really taking the time, taking the space to allow yourself what is happening. And if we learn this steadiness to feel what is going on just moment by moment by moment, um, we start to see how changing these patterns are. They change day by day, but even within one day, we can have so many different moods. And that is one thing that I find so amazing about being on retreat, that we start to notice one morning we wake up and we feel great and we have a wonderful sitting. The next sitting we have the feeling, oh, I, I'm a total beginner. So we start to see moods are not stable, they change. 
And it is this learning that comes from the continuity of our attention. It doesn't come from our trying to now somehow work on this emotion. You don't have to work on your emotions. Just develop the stability to, to be with them, to learn about them. And in this way, an understanding develops. So we don't want to really change the moods. It's not our agenda to make them go away, but we want to understand them. We want to understand that they are changing phenomena. And this we can only learn if we learn to sustain our attention and not try to you know, think, oh, now I have some aversion, I have to do meta so it goes away. But take the time to actually feel the mood, you know, not applying antidotes too quickly. Sometimes it's skillful to use antidotes, but if we want to learn um, about the nature of moods, it's important that we give ourselves the time to simply be with them, just feel them, just acknowledge, okay, sadness, how does it feel? Okay, grief, how does it feel? Okay, mm, jealousy, loneliness, how does it feel? Happiness, how does it feel? And over time, there is less of this identification, less of a problem when there is a mood. It's just like, oh, a thunderstorm is passing by. Okay, thunderstorm, and then the sun shines. We don't take it so personally anymore, and then they become less of a problem. So we learn to walk through whatever comes, just staying with the practice. And, you know, staying with the practice also means that we nurture the power of our intention, to have a clear intention. I'm going just to do the practice, so I... Um, do what I have intended to do rather than being compelled by my moods. Because moods not only tell us what to think about, they also tell us what to do. And so often moods compel us to do something special, you know, go to the tea station, uh, pull a blanket over our head or <laughs> whatever. And we learn to have a choice. Should I follow my mood or should I follow my intention? And we need to learn to listen inwardly and to realize what is skillful now. What do I find wise in this moment? What is compassionate also? And to act from this place of clear intention rather than just being driven by mood. So it's a huge area, especially in the walking meditation, that we can learn to see how our choice is being made. Um, is there a clear choice that I'm making or am I just allowing myself to be at you know, the mercy of um, the moods that are passing by? So... Yeah, I think it's a rich exploration and we have a beautiful day, so enjoy this day of practice. <laughs>